I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed, nothing signed. They they just approve your email address and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way if you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet. You need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their backend stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, all for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Thank you, Viva. Terrell Payton, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel like that's all the intro you need. Terrell, you came out of nowhere on my radar. Uh And then you reach out to me, you know... And you said, so I just thought you were another tech vendor. I get reached out like, uh, I mean, it's a lot. I don't want to sure. like put it, but it, every day, multiple, oh, I have this great idea, this and that. I'm like, all right, I've done all the demos. I don't have time mm-hmm. running a clinic. But then uh, Dr. Fox, my colleague said, hey, have you heard of this Terrell, dude? I'm like, is that the guy with the awesome avatar profile pic? Because if it's him, I know who you're talking about. He's like, he's amazing, man. You got to interview him. So then I was like, all right, I remember I have to get back to him anyways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then that's how I know you. Like, I yeah. don't know much about what you do or how you came on the scene. All I know is you come highly recommended by someone I trust. Mm-hmm. And he said you're a must interview. Okay. So that's all I know. And that you're a pretty cool dude. And your avatar, your profile picks amazing. Like, who's your photographer? We got to get them. <laughs> I got to get an upgrade. Yeah. Um, no, happy, happy to tell kind of my origin story as well as, you know, additional information about the picture and how all this stuff came to be. So interestingly enough, I, I did kind of come from left field. The first part of my career was spent in tech, um, you know, working for different tech companies, had a couple startups, things of that nature. As I was kind of... Getting to my 12th, 11th, 15th year, I was like, I, I really want to do something new. I want to do something different. I've always been interested in science. I've always been interested in life science. And so I went to graduate school at Northwestern with the express intent of kind of making a career shift from engineering into life sciences somewhere. Um, throughout the course of Uh, the two years of grad school, I ended up going through a divorce. So by the time I finished grad school, I was absolutely broke. I had burned through all my savings. Um, I wasn't working as much because I was in school. And then, you know, they come up with these extracurriculars like, hey, you travel here to do this, to see this kind of company. And so 
coming out of grad school, I was like, okay, Terrell, what are you going to do? And so I took a job with uh, a big consulting firm. Uh, people can look on my LinkedIn uh, profile and see who that is. Took a job with a big consulting firm. Again, coming in with all of this background experience on more of the digital and technology side, but knowing that at these big consulting firms, they have so many practice areas, I could probably get some exposure to pharma. And that's exactly what I did. I threw myself headlong into the pharmaceutical practice area to try to learn as much as I can. I could because that's where I knew I wanted to play. Now, what was your grad school? Like, what was the degree in again? I'm sorry. It was a it was an MBA at okay. uh, Kellogg School of Management Northwestern in Evanston, Illinois. Um, and Dr. Fox knows highly, exactly. highly touted like MBA program. They're like super high reputation. Yeah, it's for, um, you know, s- smart social folks mm-hmm. uh, who feel like they can leverage that to business mm-hmm. success, essentially. Mm-hmm. So. After Kellogg joined a big consulting firm, started to get some exposure in pharma, pretty much threw myself into the pharma practice and and learned as much as I could as quickly as I could. Fast forward the tape to 2019, I was, you know, kind of starting to feel that same antsy feeling that people feel when it's time to make a change career-wise. And I thought to myself, okay, I understand this industry. I know how to deliver on initiatives. And now I've learned how to sell and build relationships. I think it's time for me to strike out on my own. And so that's what I did. Struck out on my own in 2019, called up a few of the relationships that I had built and said, hey, uh, I left my employer. Do you have anything that you need help with? Fortunately for me, a couple people did say yes. And I was pretty much off to the races. Wow. Not really not really a focus on clinical trials per se at that moment, really doing work on the clinical side and on the commercial side. As time went on, uh, the team started to expand. We started to do more work, build deeper relationships, and pretty much only started focusing on clinical research, clinical trials, and specifically clinical operations. As I tell people, me and my team, our primary strong suit, we're not clinicians, we're not physicians, we're not scientists per se, we're business operators. We are very, very good at optimizing operational issues and bringing operational excellence and discipline to any sort of process. When you look at clinical operations, at least from the from, from our vantage point, which tends to be more on the big global sponsor side, in places like banking and financial services and other industries, many, many moons ago, they've had their kind of come to Jesus moment where it's like, we need to do things differently. We need to be more fit for purpose. We need to be leaner. We need to be more agile. In the pharma industry, a lot of people have been talking about that for a number of years, but it's really, really difficult to get these large global organizations to shift the way they do things, especially when there's so much inertia around the rest of the industry that kind of keeps things where they are. So we thought, bam, this is the opportunity. We can bring our operational expertise, our knowledge and understanding of clinical trials, and just the, the mojo, so to speak, that we bring, the passion that we bring to this. And we think this is a target-rich environment to really make a dent. And so We've centered ourselves around reducing the cycle time of clinical trials. Everyone has seen the numbers that have been published ad infinitum since forever. The price is going up. The timeline is going up. It's become more and more difficult to recruit. And even when you start kind of scratching below the surface and getting into like super, super constrained 
uh, exclusion criteria and like very, very somewhat draconian, difficult, difficult to fulfill requirements associated even mm -hmm. at the protocol level. And to me, that's kind of where the thinking about oper operationalizing, that's where the thinking starts at the protocol. So doing that work, three, four years on the scene, we're starting to get into some deeper issues. Part of the reason I reached out to you, part of the reason I reached out to Dr. Fox, part of the reason I'll be reaching out to Mr. Hightower and a bunch of other people as well is because we have a unique vantage point from the perspective of the sponsor. Sponsors don't really talk about some of their issues and challenges in public the way you do um, online. And so we thought we really need to get smart on the other side of that coin. I so wonder we, why they don't. <laughs> uh, well, I know why they don't, but we I think <laughs> there's an opportunity here because there are a number of very smart, very deep experts on this side of the fence that have a lot to say. And we're constantly talking to the big sponsors about their portfolio strategy and their pull through, through activities and their pre-commercialization activities. And they talk about sites the way that you or I would talk about the mailman. Like, oh, yeah, the mailman usually comes around four o'clock, but I don't know my <laughs> mailman's name. And I haven't really had a conversation with him other than, hey, thanks a lot. I'll sign right here. Former so, mailman told me. All right. I just went yeah. to a wedding. I came back from a wedding in Phoenix, by yeah. the way. You might have the greatest background in the history of my podcast. I feel like I'm in a LMFAO video or something. <laughs> That's amazing. We might need to do it afterward. Former mailman told me, you know what everybody wants from their mailman? Their packages not to get lost. Yep. Then he said, you know what every mailman doesn't get except once in a while? A little gift around the holidays or a little gift just because. Yep. Then he said, those ones who do, and he said, then all you got to do is give them like $20 gift card. That's it. Your packages will never be lost again. They'll take care of your house. Yep. It's a good One analogy month. for sites. <laughs> 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 well, I think even just like you guys getting paid what you're owed on time would be what a, a concept. Huge, what yeah, a it's concept. a huge, it's a huge leap. It's a huge leap. But <laughs> so, so anyway, that's kind of the background and origin story and how you know I started to come on to to your radar and and what we're doing here and things of that nature. Makes sense. It makes yes, sense. Sir. So you're basically a consultant for yep. and you work for yourself. And, yep. Um, yep. as any solid MBA if they don't go work for someone else, you know, they end up working for themselves. So hats yeah. off to you. You've picked a hell of an industry to get involved in. And it's one, honestly, like if you just make incremental improvements, it's considered revolutionary. I like, know, <laughs> I know. But, but, but Dan, when you think about the cost of conducting a trial, right? Let's just say from protocol feasibility to last patient in data prep and submission so on and so forth mm -hmm. every day every day you can shave off that timeline is worth a couple million dollars a couple million but look because i just had robert goldman on if you don't know him i gotta introduce you to him he's a study he's director uh he's a study director for a very small biotech company with a very promising ip we're actually cool. doing a study with them Okay, he I, I had him on multiple podcasts. He broke it down. He said, I said, why are these studies getting harder? I have a study right now. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we can enroll patients because we have a huge database, but it's a study from hell. Mm -hmm. The screening visits 10 tubes of blood. 
They're going in like five different places. If this result comes back, you need to do another one. If that one, then you got to do eye exam. Then you got to do this, that, all kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. He said the reason they're doing that is not because they like to see you suffer, but to your point, they think I'm just the mailman. Like whatever, rain, sleet, snow. I'm gonna deliver right. patients, right? Yep, yep, yep. So they're squeezing every ounce of juice out of that orange because of these exploratory endpoints. Ah, I think these exploratory endpoints are what's causing all these problems and feasibility. It's what's causing delays in accrual. Mm -hmm. But I still think I think the real problem is the delays in accrual. Let's say a million dollars a day, which yes, is sir. by the way pre-COVID. Post-COVID, yeah. it's like maybe 1.5 million a day. I would agree. Those delays are still cheaper than doing another study. Yes. Yep. So it's almost like this problem, there's no incentive to solve this problem. Yeah. I, I was having a conversation with a VP of clinical operations that was running an oncology portfolio. And he said something to the effect of, yeah, it costs us $300,000 to recruit a patient. We just throw money at the problem. And he's like, I know that's not, I know that's not the smartest way to do it, but at the end of the day, I'm optimizing for speed, not cost. And a million here, a million there. That's a rounding error. When I look at the overall budget <laughs> of my portfolio, give us so, some so rounding errors over the here. Mindset. <laughs> yeah. That's the mindset of like, you know, so it's Penny not like the money's not there. It's not like the money's not there. It's not like the money's not readily deployed. Yep. So my thesis, and it's being proven true, and not just mine. Yes, sir. There's no incentive to change. Yes. There's more incentive to squeeze every ounce of juice we can out of the sites because they are just mailmen. Yep. And male women. Yep. And we, there's no incentive for us to pay them faster, even though we can, because they'll keep working. Yeah. <laughs> so what a hell of an industry to be in <laughs> 17 years i've been in this wow i How'd love it though. i love it um i was a pre-med student uh at least i graduated with a bachelor's yes sir. um i do have an mba also but uh, that so bachelor's from university of arizona i yes, was sir. on the pre-med track mm -hmm. um my dad was a psychiatrist he still is but he's gotcha. semi-retired Yes, sir. He was working at a site. He told me, hey, you know what? You may not get in med school with your grades. Just intern here. You'll mm -hmm. have research on your resume. I interned. The business started falling apart. All the PIs left. My dad was basically the only one there because it was his private practice. Sure. And he said, hey, the show's over. You know, either take this over. We had like two studies. Take it mm -hmm. over and see what you can do with it or Go find a real job. So I thought I was going to be a CRA at that point. Uh -huh. But I took over the site and then started learning all the stuff. The money started coming in. I was like, oh, this is not bad. Nice. Maybe I don't need med school after all. Like, So I stopped trying. <laughs> I stopped applying uh, and started hiring people. Like, I hired my first employee and then my second one. And pretty soon we built up that site. We expanded, been through the ups and downs. And now I'm on my like fifth site here in Yuma. Nice. Um, now I'm able to do it faster, though. Like, yeah, I'm able to yeah, do yeah, it yeah. faster, but the same problems are still here in 2023 that as they were in 2005, 2006. Like we don't get paid on time. Mm -hmm. The studies are even harder. Yeah. Yes, the budgets are better, but 
they're not better relative to the work. Sure. Like sure, sure, it's, sure. I'd rather have a lower paying study that, that's easier than some of these draconian studies yeah. that we have. And it's my fault for accepting them, but I do it for the patients. Like we have yeah. patients yeah. You know, with these indications. So it makes sense to take these studies where we have patients. And, and, and I also think someone in your position, you're going to be much, much closer to the local community and be able to see the impact of, of what happens when somebody's able to get care for something that they thought they would just have to live with. Mm-hmm. I don't know that sponsors necessarily have that same purview because they think very global. And mm-hmm. the folks that I deal with, they primarily think in terms of, oh, we're going to be running, you know, uh, we're going to have try to get. 40 sites in the U S and 20 in France. And we're gonna try to get 10 in Japan. And we're yes. gonna, so they, that's kind of the level of fidelity they think, but from your perspective, when you see the actual impact of people, I can understand why, despite, you know, some level of abuse, you're still all in on, on the impact that it makes on people's day-to-day lives. And another thing I'll say is when I first started to try to get smart on the site side of things, I did some Googling. You've been on the scene educating people about this stuff for a very long time. I see videos of very young Dan with the the all black beard. Yeah, no great. I'm like, This is supposed to be a birthmark, by the way. That's at least what I tell myself to make myself feel better. (laughs) But I'm just like, okay, this guy is really official. Like, you're really committed to the cause. And it's clear to me that you have a high degree of passion and commitment to what it is that you do, despite some of the negative aspects that we hear about. Mm -hmm. So just like sponsors do studies for with exploratory endpoints. Yes, sir. In a way I take on studies and open clinics for exploratory reasons as well. Sure. Like, you know, I have, I don't need to have the site. I have remote businesses. When Mm -hmm. we moved here to Yuma, it was to be closer to my wife's family. It Mm -hmm. was not to start a site. Sure. I would have been fine just podcasting all day from home. Yes, sir. And doing, you know, running investigator initiated trials and running mm-hmm, the site mm-hmm. network, all that. So it's to be connected and be relevant as well. I mean, yeah. I'm in it to make good money too. Yeah, but of course. I'm in it to be connected to what's happening. Like I'm always playing with the tools. So we have Viva mm. systems, we have Creo, we've got eConsent, like I'm using it as a playground. And then if I want to do IITs, which are investigator initiated trials, I have the infrastructure of sites. Plus I can leverage the sites that I have for my yep. CRA Academy, CRC Academy and our clients. Like, look, I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm doing it myself. Like I am mm-hmm. a client of my own company, like my own site, Yuma Clinical Trials. So I, in a way, Yuma Clinical Trials, it's to make money, of course, but it's also for exploratory endpoints as well. But one of the things I want to get your take on this, because you're a consultant in this industry. Yes, sir. By no means I'm saying like, you know, you're part of the problem. That's not what I'm saying. But one thing I've noticed, no, you're not. (laughs) If you're on this podcast, you're not. The people who don't come on here, they're part of the problem. Okay, I'm in good company. Yes, you're in good company. We need consultants to actually do something. Here's the thing I noticed. You said pharma is on a global scale. Yep. What I've noticed from 17 years of building sites, okay, even on a small local scale, the bigger I get, okay, the more responsibility I delegate to others. Yes. Meaning when my business starts, is able to generate cash, I hire somebody 
to do what I used to do at a rate. I don't expect a hundred. They're not going to be me. They don't right. own the business. They shouldn't right. be me. Right. At least 80%. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're below 50, I don't need you. Like, you know, you're, you're no value here, but at right. least 50 or higher, it's acceptable. Like the exceptional ones are like 80% of yes, as good as I can do something. Yes, sir. But what I've noted, like we're already lost efficiency. I'm exchanging money and my time for a trade-off in efficiency. Because if it was just me doing it, it'd be super efficient. Right? Yep. So I'm trading. I'm doing on a small scale what pharma does every day on a global scale. Like, oh, yes. we don't want to deal with this problem, meaning patient recruitment. So, yep. hey, central recruiter that we know from the good old boys club. Yep. Here's a couple million. It's a rounding error anyways. <laughs> Here you go. Not my problem anymore. Yes. They do this for everything. Yes. And I've done it on a small scale, so I can't imagine on a big scale. Like This is why you have everybody with their handout yes. in the middle trying to help. Then you have all this fat in between the sites seeing the patients and the sponsors who are paying for the study. Thousand percent. I want to get your take on that as like a consultant in the space. Like, how are we going to fix this? Thing? Yeah, <laughs> there's well, no incentives to fix it. Yeah, that's that's the first thing. Um, and and not just specifically in clinical trials, but generally speaking in life science and healthcare, a lot of perverse incentives pushing things in the wrong directions. Um, the upside and the downside is that there are squillions of dollars sloshing around this industry. And if you happen to be good or lucky enough to stick your foot into one of those streams of cash, all you got to do is kind of hold a bucket and it'll accumulate. One thing I will say is that the big sponsors, it's not like the kinds of businesses you and I run because like I'm a, I run a consulting firm and I spend about half of my time consulting with clients and half of my time you know, running payroll and doing admin and figuring out strategy and planning marketing and all that stuff. In 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 big pharma companies and big companies in general, uh, I can generalize across this. Eighty percent of the people who work at these businesses have nothing to do with that company's business. <laughs> I'll say that again: eighty wow. percent of the people inside uh, a big pharma company have nothing to do with pharmaceuticals or patients or chemistry or science or trials or anything, right? Because you have HR and you have procurement and you have supply chain. And I don't necessarily mean the kind of supply chain that ensures that investigational medicinal products get to where they go. I mean, just like the regular plain vanilla supply chain of, do we have enough paper, right? Do we have enough office supplies? Uh, think about the number of secretaries and administrative assistants at a 50,000 person pharmaceutical company. Think about, you know, all of these other functions that don't really have anything to do with what this company says they do. Now, that other 20 percent actually does the thing, but 20 percent is not enough. And those 20 percent of people usually are relatively experienced. I'm talking about the people in what's called line of business, right? I run a franchise or we're getting ready to commercialize a product for non-small scale lung cancer or we're getting ready to figure out the portfolio strategy for colorectal cancer or what's our pipeline for Alzheimer's. 
that is a very small number of people. And because they are such a small number of people, and because they typically are some of the most experienced folks uh, at those companies, they don't necessarily get to do the work. They do a lot of planning and strategizing and things of that nature. And then they'll usually kick that down to their direct reports to run. Now, the direct reports are like, how can I be in charge of recruitment for 100 different sites on four different continents? I need help. Please give me a budget to go get some external help. Uh, in the best case scenario, they know what they're doing. They hire extra hands. They execute. And Bob's your uncle. The worst case scenario, kind of the perverse scenario, is that over time, nobody knows how to do anything. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't know how to even run a basic project. So after a couple generations and some of these pharma companies are quite old. So after 20, 40, 60 years, there creates a culture internally where nobody wants to get their hands dirty because they look over and they say, well, my boss and my boss's boss and my boss's boss's boss, all the way up to the CEO of the company, they spend their time strategizing. I'm going to spend my time strategizing because strategy is where the big boys play and tactics, a.k.a. execution. Well, we're just going to find somebody to pull that through for us because, yeah. you know, we don't want to we, we don't want to worry about the details. We want to stay focused on strategy. Someone like me and you, man. <laughs> yes, exactly. And now yep. for me and my team, we know how to do things. I try to make it very clear at the beginning of this call where we're deep and where we actually help drive impact. And that impact, yeah, it's for the people who pay us to do these things. But ultimately, the bigger impact is accelerating medicines to patients faster. And we feel very strongly about that. And because of that reason, we don't necessarily want to become the kind of consulting firm that gets lost up in strategic 10-year planning wonderland. Because nine times out of 10, that stuff never sees the light of day. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's the very real, very unglamorous work. I Sometimes when I'm talking to the team, I describe us as the plumbers and the sewer workers of this industry. <laughs> because the work that we do is not necessarily the glamorous stuff, but it's necessary. Sometimes it gets a little dirty, but it's necessary. And it's What's needed. like an example of a dirty one you did recently? <laughs> <laughs> no detail, like no specifics, but like... Yeah, um... well, um, there... There is an organization that we're working with that has had trouble in executing its data analysis and preparation. And because they've had so many issues, they missed a filing deadline. Mm -hmm. And as you know, once you miss a filing deadline, all the red flags go up and it's like, hold the phone. We have got to do something about this. Right. And so we're engaged with these folks to understand what's going on. And it's never what you think it is. It has nothing to do with the skills and capabilities of their biostatisticians to actually run the analysis and submit the data. It's all the other crust in the rest of the organization that stands in the way of people being able to get things done. And then there's the fact that people have been kind of brought up in this system where it's an expectation that things take a long time. And there's not necessarily a bias to action because they're not business owners like you and me, Dan. So they're like, you know, it can be done tomorrow. And, you know, if everybody in the organization is kicking the can one day at a time, you can see how quickly those timelines start to compound. And that's why it takes eight years and $3.4 billion to get a drug to market. <laughs> 
right? So in yeah. our case, it's it's really just the 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 basics, the basics, the basic blocking and tackling of what is it that we're trying to achieve? What is the goal? What is the timeline? What is the resources? And where's the focus? A big part of these big organizations, unfortunately, is that everybody has five different jobs. And so it's very difficult to focus and get things to done because you've got six hours of meetings. And maybe in two hours, you can get the stuff done that you needed to get done. So, you so, know, the stuff you described, yes, sir. like doing the work, doing <laughs> the dirty work and doing the work, that was initially the idea for the CRO. Like, yeah. You know, that was a guy, Dennis Gillings, I think he's the first one to start a CRO, Quintiles, mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. in the 70s when he he was at UNC and a pharma approached him and said, hey, you know, like, we need help. And he, he saw an opportunity, like, if we can find a way to do the work, because these guys, like you said, you know, they're all strategizing, they're not doing the hard work, so he'll do it. And we've gotten to the point, like, 30 years, maybe 40 yeah. years of yeah. CROs. Yep that they are also behaving very similarly to sponsors. <laughs> yeah. Um we we like to call that the frozen middle, right? You kind of middle. The frozen middle cuz you got the sponsors at the top that are like, "Yeah, we want to change, we want to do better." And and you know, to be 100% transparent, sponsors do come to us and say stuff like, "We want to shake things up, we want to do things differently, we want to innovate, we want to move faster." Mm. And then on the other hand, you have sites that are like we want to move faster. We want to get paid. We want to have better working relationships with our sponsors. And then you have the CROs that have a number of incentives to keep those two factions from really Separate. connecting and working with each other. Separate, yeah. Right. And so part of what we're doing is trying to get an end-to-end -end vertical view of the industry. We know tons about sponsors. We're getting smarter about sites. And we are going to be having conversations with CROs just to figure out how can we bridge some of these gaps? Um, because you have people like you and Daniel Fox and Brad and other people that are extremely passionate and putting their heart and soul into like using this as an option to advance medicine for people who really need it. And you have the sponsors and you go to every single sponsor's website and you look at their mission or their vision statement. It has something to do with accelerating life-saving therapies to patients, 100%. And there's a number of both economic as well as compassionate and emotional reasons for that. They are all in on that. They're not disingenuous. There's just some certain linkages with how the industry ties itself together between sponsors and CROs and sites. There are some disconnects in there and I don't know exactly what they are, but I'm deeply committed to figuring them out because I think that's gonna be the real unlock for A, the kinds of challenges you face, B, the kinds of challenges sponsors face, and B, trying to get some empathy for the position of the CROs and how we ended up getting there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this, like our industry is unique because like for a site, right? There's like three different sets of customers. Like we yes, have sir. the sponsors, we have the patients. To some extent, we have like the physicians, the clinicians in our area. Those are like our three stakeholders. Yes, sir. Um, for sponsors you know, pharmaceutical companies, biotechs, I mean, their customers are patients, really, but it's through all these intermediaries. Like, exactly. We need the doctor to prescribe our med. Then we need the uh, the payers to pay for it. Then we, yep. you know, there's like all these different, so there's not really a, another comparable industry that I'm aware of. I mean, you're a smarter dude with the M Northwest MBA. Like, <laughs> is there a good comparison of like an industry that already like is similar that has done 
more as far as advancing and that we can emulate? Like, can you see the future based on another industry? Unfortunately, not. Unfortunately, there, there, are, there are no clean analogs. The closest analog I can think of really is going to be kind of the petrochemicals industry, right? Uh, I because was going to say banking, but yeah, maybe you're right with that. Yeah, well, your banking would be a close second. Anything that's that has a tight regulatory framework, right? And so if you think about the, the, the petrochemicals or industry, energy industry, you've got um, the, the, the DOE, Department of Energy. Right. You've got the EPA, which is kind of the backstop where you can't just go willy nilly and throw up a nuclear reactor in somebody's backyard because the EPA is going to say absolutely not. Right. Then that's just in the U.S. And then because a lot of times these hazardous materials get transported from point A to point B, you have the DOT involved. Right. The Department of Transportation regulating. And then you have on a state by state level, state level transportation authorities that regulate what you can travel over that state with. Like, for example, in the state of Florida, if you if you spill, let's just say, I'll, I'll, I'll break it down. You have these huge pumps, 60 gallon per minute pumps. And let's say there's a bug in the software and a pump doesn't turn off. It goes for 30 extra seconds. It's 60 gallons per minute. So you just dump 30 gallons of gasoline on the ground, let's just say. In the state of Florida, the water table is two inches below the surface of the water. So if you spill 30 gallons of fuel, that is a million dollar cleanup because you need to excavate all around and underneath that spill site. Then you need to bring in evaporators to clean the fuel out of the soil. And that's before the EPA levies their fine. And that's wow. before the state of Florida said, hey, you ruin our local water table. We're going to we're going to tax you. So um Tight, highly complex, highly scientific, highly precise manufacturing processes, highly regulated um, usage and transportation and consumption rule set, and it's international. That's the closest I can think of, but it is a far second compared to the complexity of the life sciences healthcare industry. And they're probably further behind as far as tech and like innovations and all that. <laughs> yeah, because because you know, a gallon of crude oil is a gallon of crude oil is a gallon of crude oil. And yeah, there's been a lot of really cool advances on kind of the exploration and prospecting with AI and machine learning and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still truck drivers and train conductors driving that stuff from point A to point B or some guy at the at the wellhead of a pipeline making sure that it gets from point A to point B. That stuff hasn't changed all that much. So for for our industry in particular, I think we're going to have to get real uh, with each other as an ecosystem, because I think sponsors have tried to kind of solve the problem insofar as they have a wheelhouse to solve for same thing with payers in insofar as the wheelhouse that they occupy same thing with all the players and just looking at the interaction between the interaction between sponsors and payers sponsors right now are really trying to push into specialty medicines and into the rare disease right this long tail of nine thousand rare diseases that we want to make a dent in why well, do you think they're pushing that like why do you think they're making that push i think they're making that push because there's riches in niches if you or your child has a debilitating disease and you find out there's a therapy for it, even if there are 1,000 people in North America who have that and the pharmaceutical company says, we're going to charge you a million dollars a year for this therapy and you need to be on it forever, then your first stop is you're talking to your insurance agents, you're talking yeah. to GoFundMe, you're, you're going to try yeah. to find a way to make but that But do happen. you think, because that's always been the case, but do you think that the tech has caught up to 
the their ability to innovate in those niches or or have no, they just no. dried up their opportunities everywhere else? I think the second one. I think yeah. I think we've kind of gone through the fat head of blockbuster drugs and mm. the real and a lot of um, what about obesity though? That's next. Obesity. I feel it coming like out here in Yuma. That's like a bunch. Yeah, of new but studies. Un unless you can characterize the impact in terms of cost, it's mm. very very difficult to get sponsors to solve for something like obesity right. unless they see a path to a getting it on formulary and b getting pulled through with health healthcare providers or prescribers. Uh, so so I think that that rare disease space kind of represents a sweet spot whereby if you're an early mover into any one of these 9,000 rare disease, you can basically own that market. And the way that IP works with patent protection window, um, they want to be able to maximize that. But they also know, I've had conversations where they've said, we know we have to get better because right now, if it takes seven years to commercialize and there's 9,000 of these, we're talking about seven times 9,000, 63,000 years before we can make a dent in that. That is not going to work. We have to get to the point where we can do this in half the time, a quarter of a time, a tenth of a time. We need to look at new ways of doing things. But it's really, really hard as a single, let's just say a, a single cadre of sponsors to make some sort of broad-based change that is going to get the insurance companies brought along and the healthcare providers brought along and the CROs brought along and the sites brought along. And that's that's pre-commercial. That's just all the pre-commercial planning, yeah. not even talking about the way the field force situation has shaped up in the wake of COVID where doctors don't want to see reps anymore and they don't want to have Zoom calls with reps and they don't <laughs> want reps spamming their email inboxes with all of their marketing education but if they, they want, want sandwiches and coffee still well why not i would take a free lunch if a rep wanted to talk to me i I'm get one a few times a week here do you really yeah they bring oh, i'll have to come i'll have to send yeah. you uh coffee and a sandwich as well yeah we get starbucks mornings every now and then here it's nice like, it's the only way the reps can come in but yeah i know i feel you like and it, it's actually interesting to hear you describe this stuff and we probably need to do a part two on like emerging therapeutic areas and absolutely i would love to maybe another one on ai um yes yes we are we are all in on ai and very shortly here you're going to see numa group start to release some 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 tools and some interesting products uh that are designed to make a splash and establish us as a real player because so much of the information that you need to make faster decisions is holed up in a 130-page protocol document or you know somebody's note somewhere. So the moment you can turn that unstructured information into actual data, where you can start to do longitudinal analysis of like, okay, what is has what has been the standard schedule of assessments for our last hundred protocols, and what's right. the cost associated with that, and how might we be able to make better choices to reduce the cost, reduce the timeline, reduce the burden on all the players in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. That's something we're looking at very, very closely. And I would love to have a second, third, fourth, 10th conversation with you on the AI stuff. I think the integrating of the EMRs into and into protocols, like just yes, pre-screening, you know, there's already a few companies doing that, but especially on the drug discovery side, like mm -hmm. when there's 10 to the power of, I don't know how many zeros, uh molecules that we yeah. don't we know exist but we don't know what they do yes so we yeah. can compare them to everything that we do know 
Mm-hmm. We can try to categorize them. There's a theory that there's going to be more Clangle trials because of this. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm very. I am very much aligned with that statement. I think that's the direction things are going to go. The challenge is, unless we figure out how to drastically reduce the time and the cost mm-hmm. associated with conducting a trial, we're going to have a big ball kind of at the beginning and a little bit of trickle as we can kind of work through all of those wonderful new molecules that have been discovered to try to figure out, you know, how yeah. might we target them for therapeutic use. It's all about where the incentives are, because when, I mean, the same AI can be applied to paying sites on time. 100%. There's no need for that. You know, we don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. Same tool. Just yeah. make you do this instead. Nah, yeah. we're okay with that. <laughs> That's uh, that's that's the crux of this pot. That's the crux of my journey as a site owner, unfortunately. But I still choose to do it because I've only not been paid once in my entire 17 years of running sites. So that's not bad. And that was because that was in the biotech bubble. Mm. And that was that was due to bankruptcy. Um, yeah. Other than that, paid late. Yes. All the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But, but we get paid. Get paid. Listen. I would love to come and visit your site one of these days. Yeah, not come on down. The road. Man, not far. I go to San Diego a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And definitely. When there. you're when you're out here, definitely please reach out. Would love to meet face to face and have a beer or share a meal. Oh man, we'll be neighbors soon. Four or five years. The goal is to move back to San Diego. Okay. So we'll right there, we'll be neighbors, man. <laughs> I, I can't wait. My um, I I just got remarried. Uh, over the holidays and Congrats. i've been telling my wife i need to take you out to the dunes i need to take you out to the oh, dunes man i and still gotta like, get my can yeah she does yeah i'm like we're gonna too. go see the dunes and we're gonna hang out in yuma so definitely you will be on that whistle stop sir all right man i'm waiting to get my trx and i'm waiting to get my can-am hopefully uh-huh. this year and we can go out on the dunes man I'll, we'll go to glamis my nephew is all into trucks and he goes like every weekend Oh, we're going to become desert rats? Yeah, man, let's do it. (laughs) Fantastic. I am so here for it. Thank you, Terrell. Look, we can have a three-hour conversation, but I'll I'll get kicked out of the clinic here in about 10 minutes. So I wanted to thank you for your time. Sorry it took me a while to get back to you. I just thought you were another tech vendor. I was like, all right, we'll get back to them. They all want to pitch. They all want to show, like, their new stuff. Like, Yeah. yeah, I have this idea, patient recruitment. Let me show you like my idea. It's like I've seen these guys. Yeah. Like it doesn't work. I mean, maybe one of them will work. I'm sorry if I'm gonna miss that one. But and, it's- and, and, and at conferences they pitch us because they're like, Oh, you could help sell this since you have relationships. And I'm like, I, I'm not gonna hawk your product. I don't even know anything about it. Not only that, but if it worked the way you said it worked, I probably would have already heard about it. Yeah, why doesn't it work then? Let's use it. Yeah. Why are we struggling? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, cool. I'm I'm so glad and I'm so grateful because oftentimes people get blind outreach from someone on the internet or someone on social media and it's like instant trash inbox. So I'm glad that you took the opportunity to- Your picture, man. Your picture, like, I don't forgot what you're doing. You're doing something like. Oh, crazy. I'm throwing a jacket. There over you go. Phone. That's right. That's right. I was <laughs> like, this is different, man. I got to do that. You're inspiring me to hire a, maybe a photographer and get my headshot. Like, do it. Yeah, do it. Yeah, Listen. I still have an old one of me wearing a beanie from like three years ago. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you with this thought. I think so many of us put so much time and attention in being good at what we do. 
And I think that is the foundation of everything. You've got to be competent. You got to have your I's dotted and your T's crossed. But if you can swing it, it is always worth it to do what you do with a sense of style and a sense of artistry. It is always worth it for the style points because all things being equal, you have this guy who's pretty good and you have this guy who's pretty good, but he's got style. That's where it's at. <laughs> That's where it's at. I mean, look at your background, man. It's working. I won't forget this interview, and neither will people watching. And we're going to do more. We're going to go live. Yeah. We're going to do all kinds of We'll go live, me, you, Brad, Dr. Fox. Ooh. We want you at our conference, February I already registered. Thank you. Oh, you're registered. on it, man. Wow. No, I reached out to Brad. I was like, please send me a link. Because I've been thinking. The team's been selling it today. I've been busy. But the team's been selling that today. Shout out to them. Yeah, shout out to them for sure. I'm ready. I'm so ready. And I'm ready to have these kind of really in-depth conversations because I think we're in a unique position in that we're constantly having conversations with sponsors at the highest level. And I really don't think they're aware of the specifics of what's happening with the sites. And if we as an industry want to hold hands and really make an impact, we, we have to start bridging some of these gaps. Happy to be of service uh, to to folks like you and everybody else. Well, you're the type of MBAs we need more of. Uh, <laughs> as so another much. MBA person, that's why I'll say that. But thank you so much, Terrell. I really appreciate it from Numa Consulting. Yes, link sir. is linked in underneath. You won't be able to miss it once you click. You'll know it's him. You'll you know it's me. You'll know it's him. Um, thank you so much. Everybody go follow if you're listening. Go follow him. Link in the show notes as well. Thank you very much for coming on. Everybody like, subscribe, comment, share. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Dan. Have a fantastic weekend. You too.